This is the Mindful Experiment Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Vic. Excited that you're here. This podcast is all about diving deep into the mind and understanding this experiment or this game we call life. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is the Mindful Experiment Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Vic. Excited that you're here. This podcast is all about diving deep into the mind and understanding this experiment or this game we call life. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey everyone, this is Dr. Vic, and you're listening to another episode here on The Mindful Experiment, as each week we have the opportunity to interview someone to share their gift to the world, what they're doing, how they're helping elevate human consciousness, and so much more. And this week, I had an awesome conversation with Chad Peterson. We had a great topic and discussions on selling a business, buying a business, exit strategies for a business owner, why you know when you get into a business, you should have an exit strategy. And I know that sounds counterintuitive because you're like, wait a minute, I'm starting a business. Why am I thinking of leaving it? But you have to have those mindsets in there, how to get finance, uh, financing on an acquisition and so much more. Um, the dive in though, Chad is an expert business broker and the founder of Peterson Acquisitions, an award-winning M&A firm. Chad's firm handles transactions in 1 million to 25 million range with some deals exceeding $25 million. He works with companies all over the United States and has completed international deals as well. Peterson Acquisitions was recently named by one publication as the number one ranked business broker in the United States. What sets Chad apart from all other business brokers is his aggressive style, work ethnic, and tenacity that are rooted in his humble beginnings. Chad is a self-made entrepreneur that has made in the trenches. He has started, built, and sold six of his own businesses. Chad wrote the book From Blue to White, A Working Man's Guide to Self-Employment. Best-selling author Scott Alexander of Rhinoceros Success wrote the foreword. 
He also wrote the book, Swinging Doors, A Guide to Sell Your Company, Selling Your Company, and is the host of the podcast, Business Brokers, Buying, Selling, and Growing Businesses. Um, what I appreciate about Chad in this is he'll talk about how, how many people he denies to sell or work with, and he'll talk about that and so much more, give you some metrics, how to look at things and whatnot. So with no further ado, here's the awesome interview I had with Chad Peterson. Chad, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, excited to have you on. I think the stuff that you do is very critical. I remember when I was in business school and going through that process and, you know, eventually learning to start my own business. I had a mentor tell me, what's your exit strategy? And I was like, what do you mean exit strategy? I'm just starting a business. We may have to have an exit strategy. And it was very valuable to look at that. So I'm, I'm excited to dive in and, and discuss these concepts and so much more with you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, he was a smart man because, you know, you, you can't enter a business without knowing how you're going to get out of it, you know, but that's, that's counterintuitive, right? So, you know, nobody asks you that about your marriage, you know, Hey, you're getting married. (laughs) Great. What's your exit strategy. And so when you, when you go to build a business and somebody says, what's your exit strategy? Well, of course, that'd be a a strange question because you're you're so passionate about it. You really feel like you're going to do this forever. That's the kind of passion and obsession you're bringing to it. But the fact is you're, you're probably not going to. So you have to have your exit strategy figured out. You got to know, you know, how to build something where somebody else would buy it. That way you just don't have to shut the doors and, and, and go to the next thing. So yeah, he was a smart man. So how did you end up then doing what you're doing? How did you get your journey to get to where you are today? Well, I, uh, when I was a little kid, I had the entrepreneurial bug. I think I was born that way. Um, I was, I was turning small deals at six and seven years old. You know, I was flipping lunch boxes and flipping, flipping baseball cards at seven years old. So I was just that kid, man, that did that. I was knocking on doors, walking dogs, uh, picking up, uh, uh, picking up dog waste, you know, out, out of people's yards. Uh, I was picking weeds out of flower beds. I was just a little grinder. You know, I, I knew that if I did something, I could make a few bucks. And so that, that was just me at a young age. And then it just grew from there. Um, when I was in my teenage years, I was making more money than my teachers with the business that I had. And I built companies and sold them, built and sold them until I, I one of my friends said, you're so good at this, you know, you should help other people do it. And that was just the seed that was planted. And then I just kept, I kept building and selling my own businesses until one day I was like, you know what, I'm just going to sell other people's businesses for them. And that's how I got into what I'm doing. And I've just done really well at it since and been recognized as the number one broker in the country. And I've written a couple of books um, that, that sell, uh, around the world actually. And, um, I've just done real well at it. So what is like, what would you say that's like your strength or one or two things that you just stand apart from other, I guess, business brokers and things like that? Well, the main thing is that I have a unique gift in understanding who is and who is not a player. So, um, I don't know where I got that from, but I've always had it. Uh, let's call it gut instincts. I've had I've had great gut instincts for most of my life uh, when it comes to business, especially. So I can talk to a buyer and I can hear the questions. I can feel their vibe. I know where they're coming from. I know whether they're a player or not. And so I can sift through the BS pretty quick and figure out, you know, hey, is this deal going to work? Is this guy full of shit? Is he not? 
You know, are we going to get to the closing table? That's a lot of it. Um, secondly, my work ethic. I mean, I work nonstop, not because I have to, but because I want to. Um, and that's just, that's the difference between being committed and non-committed. I mean, some people, you know, they're seeking work-life balance. I, I don't do that. Uh, my life is my work. And then I squeeze in, uh, you know, fun things along the way, whether it be, you know, going to a restaurant and having lunch with a friend or, or, you know, going out and having, you know, a few cocktails and dinner with my, with my friends or going on a vacation. I do all those things, but mostly of what I do is I work. And you're going to find that most high performers are that way. It's nothing for me to put in an 80 hour work week. That's just standard. That's just like what I do every week, you know, for me to work a hundred, 110 hours happens quite often. And again, it's not because I have to, it's because I want to. Um, so, and you know, I think my, com my competitors, you know, they're, they're going to work at seven 30, eight o'clock in the morning. They're, they're leaving around 2 PM. You know, they're doing happy hours. They're, they're busy with golfing. They're busy with their wife, busy with their kids. Yeah, that's how they live. I'm busy with work, and that's the difference. Gotcha. Yeah, no, strong, uh, strong work like Nick definitely leads, and that's why being number one, that you, you definitely are showing that the little bit of a clue there behind that. Um, when it comes to, like, you knowing the, the BS of the buyer is going to be going to the closing table or not, would you call that intuition? Is, like, an intuitive thing you have that you just feel? Absolutely. Yeah. And, um, it surprises people that work for me because I can be a little rough with people if they don't approach the transaction properly. Um, let me give you an example. Let's just say you wanted to buy something and yeah, I don't, I don't know what it is. Let's well, let's just say it's a car, you know, let's just say it's a brand new Cadillac Escalade you want to buy. Well, when you come to buy that Escalade, you know, I'm going to be hearing things like, wow, it's a beautiful color. Oh, I just love the interior. How much is this thing? I, I, I think I want it. That's what I'm going to hear. If as soon as I start hearing, you know, somebody come up to that Escalade and saying, well, I don't know if it's big enough. Well, I don't know. I'm kind of looking somewhere else. Are you guys going to come down on this price? You're going to, I mean, it's just those little things that I can hear in my world that are a lot more complex than just a vehicle, right? But there's a lot of those little things that I hear that most brokers don't pay attention to because they're just happy to get a deal going. You know, they're, you know, they're, they're anxious to get a deal done. Me, I'm just trying to find the right buyer for the right seller. And so far I haven't had any failures and that that's that intuition that I have to be able to discern whether or not the buyer's legit or not, or if he's kicking tires or not. And also if the guy's going to have the skill set to run the business after the sale of business. So yeah, it's definitely an intuition. So when you look at business, like I'm in the chiropractic business and I know valuations for our businesses is, is different than standard business uh, to a certain degree. How do you guys, when you look at evaluation of everything, how do you determine the value of business? What are the things that you guys look for to get that feed? Here's what the, the value of this business would be. Well, I don't know that your business as a chiropractic business is valued any different than the other business. It really depends on how your business is ran. If you have, if you had several chiropractors in there and you're the owner of it, it's going to be sold just like anything and just like any other business. Um, but what you're looking at, depending on what business you're selling, you're going to be able to sell your business for two and a half times 
your net earnings or what we call seller's discretionary earnings, two and a half up to 4X net earnings. So it depends on what your business is. If, you, if you're in the lawn care business, if you're mowing grass, which is a you know, low skill, uh, you know, labor shortage type industry, you know, if you're mowing grass for a living and you have a bunch of accounts, you're not going to sell that thing for more than two, two and a half times. But if you have a business that's more desirable, you're you're going to be, you know, three times net earnings. If you have high earnings, you're going to be more like 3.5 times uh, the net. The net. You know, if you have something that's niche and high earnings, you can get as high as 4X for those for those businesses. Now, when I say net, that's called seller discretionary earnings or cash flow. That means that, you know, you take your tax figures and then you add back in automobile, you know, cell phone, fuel, you know, health insurance, car insurance, travel, meals, entertainment, key man life insurance, all those kinds of things. You add that back to the bottom line and that's how you get, that's how you come up with, with seller's discretionary earnings. That is what businesses are sold off of. Yeah, so that's very similar in chiropractic. The only sad thing is our percentages are, are our numbers are multiplying supposedly are not the same based on how banks look at things. Because um, they'll look at our stuff and they'll be like, okay, if your business is, let's say, having a cash flow, I'll just make it easy numbers, 100,000, um, then you're, you can only multiply it up to by 1.45. That's like standard bank industry, which. Well, that's, that, that leads us into a different topic. So that means you're going to the wrong banks. Interesting. Okay. So, so you can go to the biggest banks out there. I'm not going to name names. I mean, I just, I don't, I think that's a little tacky. But let's just, let, you can go to some of the biggest banks out there. We all know who they are. Mm-hmm. You can go to them, and they're gonna, they're gonna limit you because they want to limit their risk. But you can go to some of the smaller community banks, and you're not going to run into that problem because they realize that on a ten-year note which is what SBA loans are written on. Selling a business at, you know, 2.5 or 3X net earnings, the cash flow is going to be there for you to live and maintain a lifestyle and pay off the debt over a decade. What they're trying to do at those those larger banks you went to is they're trying to uh, limit you at 1.45, which is to say that if, if you... That's 1.45 years of income uh, that they're trying to limit you on. And that's to say that if you didn't pay off any other debt other than it, then in 1.45 years, you would be totally debt-free. And that's just too quick. You could pay, you could pay that over 10 years easily on a note and still have a good lifestyle. Uh, so your debt service would not be hurting you while you paid it off over 10 years. So I don't know why they capped you at 1.45. Uh, it's just time I've talked to friends who've sold businesses. They sold their business, and I, I would always be like, "Okay, how did you do that? What's the process? You know, what's what's the?" Because I, I again in business, I was always taught kind of similar to what you're saying, two to three times minimum. You know, is roughly what you go off net earnings, and um, and then he was like, "No, they they they, they said one point four five is the, the standard industry standard," and I was like. That makes no sense to me because we are a business, but I mean, it, like, that's the thing I want to ask you, like, it, does it depend based on, like, you were mentioning like two and a half versus four, depending on the business and the niche, because like in our world, it's one of those things where, 
um, we leave an office and someone else comes in, 30 to 50% of the business will be leaving uh, because we're very, um, it's a personality-based kind of an, a, a business. So I don't know if they if factor that in. Is that something that, you know, when you're looking at things, does that play a role too when you're selling businesses? Doesn't have to be chiropractic, just in general. Well, I know what you're saying. It's such a personal thing. And so if you leave, then clients can leave. Absolutely. Like I said, it comes down to how you run your business. So if you own that business and you have a bunch of chiropractors working for you, then you can expect to sell your business for 3X. But if you're an owner operator in chiropractic or dental or whatever, whatever's real up close and personal, uh, then, then you could, you know, you're number one, it's hard to find a buyer for that. And then number two, yeah, the banks might struggle to lend what you want. But again, it depends on how you, how you run your business. If you own your business and you run your business and you're not in your business, you should expect to sell your business for 3X or more. Um, but if you are the business, sure, your valuation will go down. No, that makes perfect sense. And so when it comes to, you know, when someone's selling a business, I know there's a lot of things that could be uh, hiccups can show up and things like that. What are some of the most like um, things you see that are that become the most challenging? The, the most challenging things that I see in, in selling a business, you say? Yes, it could be it could be the buyer side. Let's go with the seller side. Well, I mean, the, the most difficult thing that I see in selling businesses is that uh, people don't want to report their earnings. That's the main thing. I mean, you know, the U.S. tax code allows us uh, to write off anything and everything pretty much right now. And thank God for that, because, you know, that's how small business owners survive. But when people take it too far and they reduce what, what they pay in taxes, you can't really you know, you can't sell your business for a good amount of money if you write off everything. So the biggest challenge is getting people to report really what they earned and paying taxes on all of it. Um, in other words, there's a lot of companies out there that show a loss and then they want to come to me and say, I want to sell my business. And I'm like, well, if you didn't show it on, if you didn't report it, I can't, I can't get you the money. You know, that's the biggest challenge. And then I would say along right side with that is that, sellers believe that their business is worth way more than what it is. And um, those, those two are, are in cahoots together. If you're not claiming your taxes, then you're going to think it's worth more than what it is because the number is going to be real low. The number of sale, you know, the, the sales value is going to be real low. But even if you did pay taxes and I tell you what your business is worth, you still think it's not enough. So those two things are the biggest challenges. Very interesting. And when it comes to like, let's say someone buying a business, if they're looking at a business, what are some of the things that they should focus on? Uh, I know you brought up taxes and stuff like that, but when they're looking at that, what are some pr primary things that they should be like, this is when you want to look at, they're going to be the main things to kind of give a clarity to understanding that valuation. Well, they, they, you need to be working with a really good broker. Uh, that's the difference. You know, to put the onus on the buyers to know what to look out for is uh, it's too much. You know, you have to be with a trusted broker. Um, I don't like business brokers in full disclosure. Um, there are some good ones out there. But you asked me earlier in the interview, you know, how I got into it. Well, I got into this mainly because the market is underserved by uh, by good brokers. I mean, it's just 
a lot of brokers are just paycheck professionals. They just want to get a deal together, slam it together and get paid. There's large commissions involved. They should get with a broker who is diligent, uh, deliberate about what he does, honest, um, only brings on businesses that are worth buying. You know, most brokers will bring on any, any business possible. I don't. I, I fire clients all the time or don't take clients on all the time. And the reason is because if it's not something that I would sell to my grandmother, I'm not going to sell to somebody else. And that's how I look through through things. You know, I get I get three or four people a week that want to sell their business to me. And I don't take on but about, well, I don't know, I think I've taken on 32 uh, this year. You know, so I've, I've turned down a lot of them. Um, they're just not businesses that I think are worthwhile on owning. So a good broker should be a trusted broker. And if you contact a good broker, um, he should only have good inventory. And then that broker should have a really solid business review for you to look at, to look at every detail of the business. He should have full tax returns for the last three years. He should have profit and loss statements. Um, he should also allow you as a buyer to talk directly with the owners and in real quick fashion. Um, one telltale sign of a bad broker is if, if he won't really let you talk to the sellers until later on in the game. I immediately get the buyer and the seller talking so they can start to, to form their own relationship and start to trust one another. I've, I've already given them a business review, the cash flow statement, the earnings. Um, I've given them what the bank will underwrite. Uh, tax returns, profit and losses, and a full description of the business and the owners and growth possibilities and everything else. So I've already done my job. Now it's a matter of chaperoning the buyer and the seller to form their own relationship. And that's how your broker should conduct himself. As far as what the buyers need to look out for, really just look out for cash flow. Make sure that the earnings are strong enough that after you close and you have uh, a payment on this business that you're going to be able to survive and pay your bills and everything else for the next 10 years while paying the debt service to the bank. I would say that's the, big, the, the best uh, advice I can give you at this point. Love that. And there's, you know, when it comes to like, you know, looking at cash flow and stuff like that, you're mentioning things before, like automobiles and stuff, those add backs, I'm assuming that's the terminology that's used. Right. When you're adding back yes. to, to the cash flow, because if someone's going to buy the business, some of those things are not going to carry over to the new owner. So I believe that's the word addbacks, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that's addbacks. It's basically anything that IRS tax code allows you to write off, but is a benefit to the owner. So your health insurance, your car insurance, your car payment, fuel, cell phone, plane tickets, um, anything, you know, meals, entertainment, those things get written off because they are, they are a U.S. tax code uh, write-off, but it's still um, considered a, an owner perk. So if you drive a vehicle and you burn $100 a week through it, well, your vehicle payment is $650 a month, and then your, your fuel is $400 a month, that's 1000 bucks a month going out. Well, that's $12,000 a year, and you know, the, the new owner needs to have a car and fuel, right? And the company's paying for it. So that's an ad back. So IRS allows you to write things, these things off, but you have to sell businesses based on what they do for the seller. And of course, the, the buyer, ultimately. That makes perfect sense. And then when it comes to, you know, I don't, I, I, I'm curious to pick your brain a little bit about like, because I know there were certain plans or programs are out there before about 
um, buying a business and financing with, you know, in that aspect. Um, how is, when it comes to, you know, is financing something that, you know, I know you said small business uh, association does things like that for 10 years and stuff like on those. Was there any other things? I remember hearing about, uh, and I'll leave this to you because I know you know this way more than I do. But say, about, that last part, say that last part again. Like the finance, like was there, so when it comes to financing for a business, and let's say if you were talking about like smaller banks are a little bit more flexible versus bigger banks. Um, and then the whole small business association being involved. How is someone, let's say there's someone who's listening and they're like, man, I've been looking to buy this business or I'm interested in this, uh, but I don't have the means to cover that. Um, how to finance an acquisition to take over a business? Well, the minimum down to buy a business is going to be 10%. Now, there are, there are ways to get it down with only 5%. Okay, so let's just say easy numbers. You want to buy a business for a million. Now, earlier we were talking about, you know, two and a half, three X net, right? So if you're going to buy a business for a million, well, if you divide that by, divide that by three, that'd be $333,000 a year that that company should be cash flowing for the new owner. So you have to look at it like this. If it's a million dollar business, you have to put down 10%, which is $100,000. It's not a lot of money. hundred grand is not a lot of money. Um, so you put down $100,000 and you're walking right into $333,000 a year in income. So it's 10% down. There are ways, creative ways, to only have to come up with 5% down. And some of that is that once you put 5% down, then the seller has to do a seller carry of the 5%. But that, that seller does not get paid that 5% until that 10 years is up. So you have to be able to figure, you have to be able to find a seller who's willing to hold out 5% for a decade. And it's not always easy. So the best way to, to, to answer that question is be prepared to put 10% down. Most sellers are not going to hold on to a 5% seller carrier for 10 years. So be prepared to put 10% down and walk into a business that, um, uh, you know, but like I said, a million dollars be a hundred grand down. You're going to walk into a business paying three hundred thirty-three thousand dollars a year, minus the debt service. That makes perfect sense. Have you ever seen, or is it a popular option? I've heard this before too, like a seller finance where a business wants to sell. They're like, hey, we'll finance it and be your bank. Or uh, is that something too risky? Because you know, buying a business, who knows what the next ten years are going to be for that business if the owner even runs it correctly. Well, seller carry deals, you know, 100% seller carry deals, that's, a, that's blasphemy. You know, you, that's, that's never going to happen. Totally. Okay. Um, the, the seller is, is, is not going to finance over 10 years. That, that's just a pipe dream. Secondly, um, there's too many, there's too many downfalls and that'll happen over 10 years. And they're going to get into litigation. They're going to get into a court battle over the payment and it'd be a seller and, and buyer fight based on the performance of the business. It's better to go to a bank and have the buyer, uh, the buyer's feet to the fire to pay that, to pay that loan over the 10 years. And, uh, that way, there's no blame on the seller's part or negotiations in court over what they paid, what they got or whatever. You know, it's just that's a bad road to go down.
I thought I would ask because I hear that sometimes coming up. Um, so real quick here, um, Chad, uh, love the information you're sharing. I know for business you know, owners and all that business, this is great stuff here. Um, one last question I have for you is, is when it comes to ex exit strategies, what are some things that you would recommend to someone who is looking maybe to start a business or get into business or they maybe been there for the last you know, five years? Um, you know, you talked a little bit about the, the aspect of, uh, uh, of exit strategies. Why is that important and why should someone have that be put into the whole entire plan? Well, I'll, you know, I'm a different kind of broker, so I'm just going to tell you, you know, tell it to you straight. The term exit strategy is largely misused. Now, here, here in simple terms is exit strategy. You start your business the first year you have to assume you're not going to make any money. Now, that's not always the case. I mean, there are cases where, you know, people do start businesses and, and they make money first year. But just plan on not making money because you've got your capital investment. You've got, you know, just learning lessons and things of that nature over the first year. Well, the second year, you need to be making a living. You know, you need to be doing, you know, fairly well, right? Your second year, you should be making money. Well, you're going to need two to three years of tax returns in order to sell a business. So your first year is dead. Your second year, you start making money. Your third year, you, now you've got everything worked out. You know, you, you've got it humming. Three years in, you're tired. You've been fighting the good fight to build this business up, build the brand up. The exit strategy is simply this. Every time that you go do your tax returns, figure out what your businesses were. So take your tax, you know, go to your accountant with, for your tax returns and then send those very tax returns to a business broker like me and we'll tell you what it's worth. If you're not ready to exit, run it another year. Again, go back to the golden rule. Prove, you know, prove that you made that money. Don't write off everything in your company. That way I can get value out of it. So every time you go do your taxes, take, give those taxes to a qualified business broker. And that's, that's exit strategy right there. That's it. And then it's awesome. Cause then that way, like, even if you're, let's say you're just starting a business and even if you're not even in the mindset of selling a business, it's good just to know that. So when that time does come, you know how to play the numbers to get the most out of the bank for your buck for your business. Yeah, exactly. It's just, exit strategy is real simple. Know you're going to sell, send your taxes to a business broker every single year. You know, every time you do taxes. And claim all your money. Don't don't play the live out of your business and write everything off game. That's good if you want to keep a business. That's a good strategy. If you want to keep a business. If you want to sell a business, you can't operate like that. You just can't. I like that. Chad, how can people follow you, get your books, all that good stuff, and see what you're up to? Well, Really, just uh, go to petersonacquisitions.com. That's the main thing, and uh, you know you can you can see my book there. You can you know from my site you can follow me on Instagram. Um, so yeah, just go to www.petersonacquisitions.com. If they tell me that they found out a, you know they they heard me on your show, I'll give them a uh, free download of the book Swinging Doors: A Guide to Selling Your Business. Awesome. I'll make sure I put that all in the show notes, especially that guys. Um, Chad, I appreciate you taking time to jump on and, and share some of this good information. I know these are 
um, great topics to have, and especially for entrepreneurs to know, to understand how businesses to be, you know, if they're buying, selling, knowing the numbers to know exactly who to work with. And hey, you, you're definitely, I love, one thing I respect about you is that you, def- I think you said this, correct me if I'm wrong, it sounds like you, def- you, you reject or you fire more people than you do take on. Yes, I do. Yeah, if I know the personality won't get to the closing table, if I know that they, you know, they're not going to work with me and the and the uh, the sellers or the buyers. Or, you know, I, I fire sellers and buyers all the time. Uh, I can I can pick up a personality issue really quick to see if it's going to be a winner or a loser. Now, here's the thing: I don't charge people to sell their business up front. So when you when you call me and you say, "Hey, I want to sell my business," I I have to hear a glowing personality out of you. You got to trust me. You got to allow me to do what it is that I'm going to do uh, to sell your business. And uh, you got to let me do my thing. And, and if it's somebody who calls me and they have a bunch of attitude and they're going to manage me and things like that, I can tell there's personality problems at play and I just won't bring them on as a customer. I just won't because, because I'm not charging up front. Now, if I was charging the $60,000 retainer up front plus $3,000 a month until I get it sold. Sure. I can see some of that where, I might, I might bend a little bit, but definitely not in, in the case of how I do things. No, I like that approach. It's a, it's a, it's a good one to have. So yeah. um, thanks again. I appreciate you, brother. And then uh, we'll, we'll definitely be in touch. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. If you found this episode to be inspirational, pay it forward by sharing with someone that you know can benefit from this. If this is your first time tuning in, please follow us, connect with us so you don't miss another amazing episode. And until next time, keep rocking and rolling. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. If you found this episode to be inspirational, pay it forward by sharing with someone that you know can benefit from this. If this is your first time tuning in, please follow us, connect with us so you don't miss another amazing episode. And until next time, keep rocking and rolling.